You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah. Don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Bands, I am Matt Minnick, and this is Bangles Shock Talk. Well, after facing one of the best defenses in the NFL and seeing the first you know, real struggles for the rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, last week. Here we go again. It's another of the best defenses in the NFL. To get us ready for this matchup against the Indianapolis Colts, I have I am joined today by Jim Aiello from the Indianapolis Star. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You're joining us. Uh, so Jim does some great work over there. Uh, be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. He's been been posting some really good content throughout the week, and and you know he'll get you ready to go for this matchup. So the Colts have an excellent coaching staff, and and obviously, you know the the quarterback situation uh, is 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 rough, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, but really, you know, coming into this year, I, I, I thought with Frank Reich. You've got a guy that that gives you a chance. Uh, he played a large role in the Eagles' Super Bowl run. Uh, I believe he was responsible for for game planning for their their third down situations, uh, and also helping to develop Carson Wentz, who has has some. Yeah, the, the two have parted. Um, you wrote a piece on on his play calling not long ago, and how he's one of the more unpredictable play callers in the NFL. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts overall on Reich and his staff? Yeah, so, I mean, right now, if you ask some people in Indianapolis, they'd say that he's not doing such a great job. But I, I kind of tend to take a differing look at that. I actually think he's, you know, the struggles of this team's offense, Philip Rivers in the running game right now, has been more a reflection of of the players and, and the way they haven't uh, they haven't kind of executed the way I, they did maybe last year, um, especially in the run game. But uh, to answer your question about Frank Reich, I think he's one of the more um, – I don't know underappreciated play callers, and again, like it's maybe because you said he 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 won his Super Bowl as maybe not the as the offensive coordinator. So Doug Peterson got a lot of uh, credit in Philadelphia, but he did a lot of good things, uh, Frank Reich, to, to develop Carson Wentz. Did a lot of nice things with Andrew Luck when they were here. Andrew Luck had one of his nice his best seasons in the NFL uh, in their year together uh, before obviously before Andrew retired. And so I, I what I think he does really really well is that he is one of the most obsessive self scouters I've ever come across. He'll watch, he and Nick Sirianni, who's his offensive coordinator here in Indianapolis, um, they watch a lot of tape together, and they have, they, have, they have guys on their staff who take rigorous notes on what their, what their habits are, what, what do they like to do in certain situations, and are they forming patterns? And then if they form those patterns, okay, 
how do we set those up? How do we use those to our advantage to break other teams? You know, they have they build these tendencies only to break them later. They do a great job with this. T.Y. Hilton earlier in this year, uh, he dropped a touchdown pass against Minnesota, but because it was a perfectly set up play where they had run the same exact route at Harrison Smith, the safety in Minnesota, he bites on the route. They run the exact same play the next play, except that it's a little double move from T.Y. Hilton, and he's wide open. And he just, he, you know, he said he lost the ball in the sun, and he dropped the touchdown pass. But that's just brilliant uh, play design and scheming by, by Frank Reich to take advantage of a, of a very, uh, uh, what's it called, aggressive safety in Harrison Smith. And so he does a very good job of that. And then, you know, you referenced the article that I wrote. Over the past few years of his play calls, they, they you know, if you look, his first and second down play calls – he is almost 50-50 run pass on both first and second down, which I think is kind of incredible. I mean, if you're a defensive coordinator looking at this, you're, you're not knowing exactly what you're going to get on either of those downs. And then on third down, you know, every team in the league is pass heavy on third down. Um, but he is right in the middle of that. He'll actually run a little bit more often than most teams. So, again, he's just he's just very unpredictable as a play caller. He'll run on second and long, which you know a lot of teams don't like. They are actually pretty good at it last year, the Colts. Um, but but again, the, he just mixes it up so well. Uh, and the Colts offense hasn't, hasn't had a lot of success this year, but I still think he is one of the play, better schemers and play designers in, in the NFL. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, the second and long runs, and that's a that's a big hot button issue with <laughs> anybody in the NLX community or even on the fringe of the NLX community. Um, usually, I, I don't. Usually, I get it. Uh, you know, the Bengals this year have just struggled so much in the run game and on third downs that to me, it's like, well, you need two shots at third down, basically. <laughs> so to me, the yeah. Bengals need to do it. But I mean, you, you look at it and, and right now the, the Colts are fifth in the league uh, running running the ball 40 percent of the time on second and eight or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, it's the Saints, the Packers, the Browns. The Rams, I mean, it's some teams that are pretty good in there, Yeah, good too, offense, so. exactly. That's, I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because a lot of people are like, oh, they run too much. I'm like, look at the other teams running that much. These are really great offenses doing that. Yeah, I mean, and you throw in the Colts. I mean, that, that's a, you know, you, you put in those five teams together. That's a, a pretty good-looking uh, win-loss record. So, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, anything you do is about do you have success with it, you know, at the end of the day. Right. Um, and I mean, you mentioned, I think, I think in your article, I believe it says that the, the Colts are struggling a little bit around the ball in the situation. I believe it was 2.2 yards per carry. So, I mean, that's really, I guess you're kind of on the fringe there. If, if it's second and eight, maybe if you're getting two, you know, if you're getting two yards, you're, you're in that third and medium, not the third and long anymore. But, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're more than that, you're not really changing your situation much. Um, with you know with with that particular call and what you're setting up but yeah it's definitely definitely a compli- complicated issue i think rec was a a great hire i thought but obviously he wasn't the first choice yeah. and um you know to me that year Reich was Reich was what eric bianami is now where you're just sitting around and you're going why didn't nobody why has nobody hired this guy yet why is where are they hiring all these other guys first yeah uh but you know, he, he comes from a, a a really good lineage. You know, he worked with Philip Rivers before, uh, and you know, he comes from maybe maybe the best lineage there is, which is uh, a long term NFL backup quarterback, just like just like Doug Peterson. You know, these these uh, long term backups seem to really have a good uh, a good track record when they when they become head coaches. Um, kind of a funky situation. He. he inherited uh, a few of 
of Josh McDaniels' staff members, even though McDaniels never uh, actually coached a, a, a game there. Um, how how was that kind of all all settled out, and you know how how has he managed to build a relationship with some guys that he didn't necessarily hire all the time? Well, I mean, there's only one left. It's just the defensive coordinators, Matt Eberflus. They've they've let go of a couple of the other guys who were around. There was only three of them. It's just down to one now. It's Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator, and I think. The interesting part of that, and this, is, this kind of goes into this crazy Colts history, but Matt Eberflus uh, came in and was going to run a cover two defense, which is a defense that, that Frank Reich was intimately familiar with. Uh, um, having kind of known Tony Dungy, his first coaching job in the NFL was with the Colts and Tony Dungy. And and again, you know, Tony Dungy pretty much invented the Tampa two. Uh, and so the, he knew the defense. He trusted that defense to have been successful. And then their relationship, I mean, their, their personalities don't clash. I mean, to be, to be perfectly frank with you, Frank Reich is one of the best, just pure people I think I've ever come across in sports. He's just a really great person, so it's hard for anybody not to get along with him. But Matt, Matt Eberflus is, a, is, like I said, is also another a good, a good person to work with, like, you know, in terms of you know reporter and coordinator relationship and just getting to know him and, and talking to him. But you know, from all from all indications, his players like him, and and, and Frank Reich kind of to, honestly lets lets Matt run his his. Um, his defense. It's his defense to run. I mean, he checks in and obviously, you know, gives his feedback on certain things because it's obvi- it's ultimately you know, he's the head coach. But he's developed this relationship where, in some ways, they're kind of like co-head coaches, and that he lets Matt Eberflus work with that defense and do his thing. But it all kind of comes back to this inherent trust he has both in Matt, the person, and then the defense that he runs and that scheme, the one that he has known um, so well. The general manager uh, of of the of the Colts is Chris Ballard. He came up. Uh, in, with the Bears, and that was he was a scout with the Bears for more than a decade. And again, this was during the Brian Urlacher era. So that more, more cover two. That was Lovey Smith, who came from Tony Dungy. So there's a lot of cover two here in the blood, and and so there's like that's like I said that 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 helped kind of uh, shape that bond between Reich and, and Eberflus. And then Eberflus's defense has actually you know has been great this year, and and has taken noticeable strides the last couple of years. So it's easy for I think Frank Reich to kind of trust Matt Eberflus. Yeah, that's great, especially with uh, his involvement in the offense to be able to, to you know, have a guy that you can trust with with that and, and put it all on his plate with everything else he's got going on. So, you know, I, I said in the intro, but the Bengals coming off a, a rough game, their offense really couldn't get anything going against the Baltimore Ravens. And, look, the Ravens, a lot of pressure, a lot of simulated pressure from, uh, from their defense. Sure. Uh, the Colts... Not really so much from from what you're uh, we're seeing so far this year. Um, I mean, would, would you say that they, you know, win a little bit more on just uh, just execution than than confusion, or, or you know, how do you think that they've had so much success? No, that's 100 percent right. That's a great way to put it. They're not. They'll you know they'll disguise some coverages. They'll blitz some, but not really. I think at one point during the season they were the lowest blitzing team in the NFL. They, I don't know if they're still there now. I haven't checked those numbers, but they're low. They're pretty. They're pretty low. And they they you know they like to get pressure with four. That's that's their plan. Get pressure with four guys. Occasionally five, maybe. But they'll stunt a lot at the defensive uh, on the uh, at the line of scrimmage at the defensive line. But mostly they're not going to get too exotic with their coverages. They're they couldn't really be. Uh, more different than the Ravens, who like to throw a lot of crazy, weird stuff at, at, at people. That's not what Joe Burrow's going to see this weekend. He's going to see a lot of the same zones. They'll, they'll play some man-to-man. They'll match up with you, too. But, again, you're not – it's – you know, I was reading some Baker Mayfield quotes from, from last week against the Colts, and he was like, yeah, it's not – you're not really confused by what they're doing. They just do what they do really, really, really well. Um, they're first in passing yards allowed per game. They're first in, in yards allowed per game. They're first in interceptions. They're third in rushing yards allowed per game. 
They're second in points allowed per game. They're just, again, they're not doing anything crazy. They're just really efficient at what they do. So I don't know if that's a good thing for Joe Burrow and that he's not going to get confused or perplexed by the things that he sees, or if it's a bad thing because he's going to get frustrated saying, okay, well, I know what they're doing. Why can't we beat it? And, and maybe he will. But again, if, if, in, certain, in certain instances, that's what a lot of quarterbacks have said this year against the Colts is we know what they're doing. We just can't beat it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that was the big thing that this Ravens game is, you know, they've seen some other talented defensive groups. They saw a really good secondary uh, with the, uh, with the chargers in week one, they've seen some really good defensive lines. Uh, and, you know, this was just uh, a, a whirlwind for him trying to keep up with what was going on. Yeah. Uh, whereas against some talented units, like, like you've seen in the Colts, they were able to have some success, but yeah, they're definitely going to get uh to get a, a good pass rush, you, you see with uh, with four players coming, um, and you know what? If you can do that, that's what you should do. <laughs> you should yeah, drop exactly. off the coverage. You can, you can drop seven in so. coverage. Why not? Right now, now it seems like in their in their coverages, uh, although they run a lot of cover two, you see some some cover three, some mm-hmm. uh, cover one in there, but it's not a it's not like a true cover two. I mean, it, it, I mean. From my observation, it, it seems like they are running with number one vertical from the corner position just about all the time, and not definitely not sitting in the in the flat. Um, would you would you uh, you know concur with that? Obviously, seeing a lot more of them than uh, than I do. No, I absolutely. I think, and I think it's kind of been developing over the last few games, and I actually kind of think that's more of a a Xavier Rhodes adjustment, if that makes any sense. I think Matt Eberflus okay. really likes him being able to drop him into that deep third. And and kind of let him use his eyes to make plays because that's where apparently Xavier Rhodes is at his best. I think we used to we used to see Xavier Rhodes in Minnesota and, and watch him you know trail the best receivers in football. You know, get get in fights with guys like OBJ and and he'd follow DeAndre Hopkins and he'd lock these guys down for certain games. And he was he was an All Pro corner doing that. Now it looks like maybe he hasn't. He's not quite the same, you know, shadow cover guy that he used to be, but he's still very instinctive. Can use his eyes. And I think to your to your point, it looks like they're playing you know, some cover three, cover three match. And they're letting their rookie, you know, guy that uh, has had a really good start to his career, uh, Julian Blackman, kind of play that roaming free safety at the top of the defense. So that they are, like you said, they haven't played. I feel like they have, they've gotten away from not all of their cover two principles, but some of them, some of them for sure. And, and, and have, have done a little bit more of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of those adjustments really do a good job of taking away some of the the perceived weaknesses in cover two, you, you still see the mic run into the middle of the field sometimes. So you get that extra guy, and uh, with the corners running, you're you're kind of you take it away that 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 side pocket uh, deep throw. Uh, but at the same time, it, it it does seem like these quarters are struggle some uh, sometimes against jump balls. Uh, would you say that that is an area where you can you can kind of hit them with some of those back shoulder throws and and fifty fifty balls? Yeah, and you can get these guys into trouble for using their hands too. Rocky Sin is a good corner, a good young corner for the Colts, but he does like to get, uh, he gets a little physical sometimes, and he's been flagged for it. Um, Xavier Rhodes has been flagged a couple times this season. They, they, he gets physical. Uh, but at, to your point, they actually have some really good coverage linebackers. Their safeties they like to use in coverage sometimes too. Blackman really hasn't been deployed that way, but he was a former corner at Utah, so I think he they want to see him do that at one point. But mm-hmm. Kari Willis likes to match up with tight ends. Um, and they're, and like I said, they have some, they have some nice man-to-man corners, but they have been flagged quite a bit for, I think, you know, for some pass interferences and some, and some, um, I guess illegal contacts, but mostly pass interferences. But yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's probably a good point. You've, you've seen them get high pointed a few times, uh, definitely just because, and, and again, I actually thought against the Browns this past weekend, especially 
they were in pretty good coverage. The Browns receivers, the skill position guys, just made some really great catches, and, and they have some great skill guys. They have OBJ and Jarvis Landry and, and Austin Hooper, guys, guys who are, you know, are paid a lot of money to be good at what they do. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, switching over to the offensive side, as we talked about with Reich, he, he likes to run the ball. Um, you know, as as much as people don't like running on second and long, they really don't like taking running backs at the top of the draft. And the Colts went out and got a running back in round two, uh, in Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but but he's I mean he's their lead back, uh, seventy seven carries, three hundred seven yards, three touchdowns on the season. Uh, how important is this this uh, running back, this rookie running back, to the Colts offense? Well, with Marlon Macdown, he's um, I wouldn't say everything, but he's quite, he's quite a lot. I mean, they had they had big plans for Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor uh, running running this offense together, and then Marlon Mack uh, tore his Achilles in the second quarter of the first game of the year, so they they kind of had to thrust a lot of it on Jonathan Taylor uh, right away. I think there's been some growing pains. Uh, I think he's still learning. Uh, to be a little bit more decisive. I think he's learning that the holes at Wisconsin stay open a lot longer than they do in the NFL. Um, and I and I think he's going he's, he's gonna to be a little bit more, yeah, I guess decisive. I said it already, but that's the word he's got to be, is, is, is pick a hole and go. A lot of times he's a little bit, I'm not saying he dances, he doesn't do a lot of that, but he doesn't necessarily hit a hole as hard as he could. And that is, uh, that's gotten him into trouble. I actually thought he played a pretty good game against the Browns, however, did a little bit more of that. He's still developing, this is thing, again, it's kind of a hard uh tangible thing to, to, to write about, but I feel like there's this chemistry between offensive line and a running back. I think you saw it maybe in those early days in Pittsburgh with, with Le'Veon Bell and, and, and with Marlon Mack, we got to see it kind of where there was just this patience and this understanding of where the holes were going to open up and how to use your offensive lineman to set up blocks. Marlon Mack had learned that over a few years with this Colts offensive line. Jonathan Taylor will learn that. He's a very smart guy, um, very good running back. I mean, every, you know, has almost, you know, every skill set you could want from a running back. Um, can even catch the ball, but he's still learning those things. And, and, and they kind of had, like I said, they kind of had to throw him in the fire early. And so I think he's a critical cog to this offense. He's going to help make it go once he's, you know, at, at full, full power. Um, and once this offensive line does a little bit better job, because frankly, they want to run the ball, but they haven't, they haven't been that good. If you look at their, you know, it, it, they don't really pass the eye test or the stat test. You look at football outsiders, they're of the league in terms of their um, and creating yards for their running backs, this offensive line, and they really haven't been that good. They're averaging 3.6 yards per carry. That's the lowest yards per carry in the AFC. This is a team that ran for over 2,000 yards last year, so they've been a pretty big disappointment in the run game um, so far. 
what they're hoping is that the, the, the Bengals will be a get-right game for them with all their defensive linemen that are uh, banged up, and, and they just haven't been that good against the run. So I think they're really hoping to get the run game going this weekend. Once again, another team looking to have their own we're on to Cincinnati game. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, bait of my existence is, is, uh, is, is hearing that, but um, – but yeah, no, 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 I understand it. And that's what, uh, you know, the, I think the Bengals did a good job of not letting the Eagles do that. Uh, you know, we're quite able to finish that with the win, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I get it. <laughs> um, so what, what is going on with the offensive line? I mean, that, that, that has been a strength in the past. I've passed, obviously Quentin Nelson in there. Um, you know, you don't, people don't throw around the terms, generational guard very often but uh but you got one there uh what's what's going on with the offensive line yeah i I, like i said it just hasn't been it hasn't dominated the 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 line of scrimmage the way that you think they haven't gotten pushed i think their numbers again in third and short and third and you know uh yeah third and short numbers are, are are actually down from last year um i they're getting a lot of stack boxes looks i actually put this number out there yesterday uh, I think Jonathan Taylor is seeing a stack box on 27% of his carry so far this year. That's the fifth highest among all running backs in the NFL. Now, you would say, hey, that's a lot of respect for Jonathan Taylor. But there are a couple of numbers that go into that. I mean, one is that the Colts were up by two scores in, in um, three of their games, They're all three of their wins. So teams were playing the run a little bit more, especially late in games, because they knew they were close to just trying to kill clock. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, this Colts offensive line, like, people knew they were going to run last year. Marlon Mack only saw a stack box 12% of the time, but they knew they were going to run last year after the first few games of the season, especially with Jacoby Brissett taking over for Andrew Luck. They knew they were going to want to hand, you know, hand the keys to the running game as opposed to putting everything on Jacoby. And they still managed to run for 2,000 yards. And you just haven't seen that, like, that sheer domination at the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure. You know, I've watched some games I thought, Mark Lewinsky, their right guards, had some rough games. I actually thought Quentin Nelson's had a couple rough games. He's been flagged for a few holding penalties this year. Anthony Costanza has been playing banged up. He actually missed the last game, um, which ended a streak for the Colts offensive line, starting 22 games in a row together, which is an incredible streak for an offensive line. But he missed the game with a rib injury. He's, he'll be back, though. It looks like he was back at full practice uh, today. But, um, yeah, I think some guys may be playing through a little pain. And, and they're still getting – yeah, I, I again, this is more of a – maybe it's and maybe it is a Jonathan Taylor thing. Maybe without Marlon Mack – um, who was maybe, maybe Marlon Mack was making that line look a little bit better than it actually was. And Taylor's still learning how to do that. So I think there's any combination of things right now that is kind of holding this run game back. I mean, are, are people just not afraid of them passing the ball? Uh, obviously you got, you got T.Y., Mo Cox. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, I mean, both Taylor and Naeem Hines are, are pretty heavily involved in the, in the pass game. Um, I believe is Michael Pittman hurt. Michael Pittman is hurt. Yeah, he's okay, out. Okay, so he's he went out and tried to get a tried to get a you know another receiver in there early in the draft, uh, and and that's not working out. I mean, our team's just not really afraid. They're like, all right, just cover Ty and and Ellie Cox, and we're good. Or there's definitely some element to that. I mean, you're you're not wrong at that. That Ty Hilton is kind of the last weapon left standing with Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman both being hurt. They have some other guys that they like. Zach Pascal's not bad. Um, they have other tight ends. They have Trey Burton, who they, they tried to get the ball to, especially late in the game last week uh, against Cleveland. But, no, I mean, I, I don't think Phillip Rivers has necessarily earned that respect. I mean, he, he did kind of – he ran, you know, he racked up 350 yards against Jacksonville in week one, but he also threw a couple back-breaking picks. Uh, and then he really didn't do much in terms of, like, throwing, all, throwing around the yard for the next – there were three games. They won those games, but he wasn't a huge part of it. He was more of a game manager, which is, I mean, he, he called himself that. 
So when it came down to the Browns game, when they got down by two scores and they needed, they needed him to get back in it, they, he just couldn't do it. And so, I mean, to answer your question, I don't know that defenses need to respect it yet because they really haven't proven that they can go up and down the field throwing the ball on you. Um, I, like I said, the stack box thing, is that's probably a little bit more um, that like inflated because uh, just because of the how often the Colts were up in those games, but no, I, I they, and they, they've created some explosive plays. Actually, they're, they're, they have 15 plays of 20, uh, pass plays of 20 yards or more. That's uh, their 13th in the league in that category. So they've done some of it. Um, they just haven't done it consistently enough. And Rivers has been throwing some really bad interceptions. So um, again, I, I get based on what the Bengals secondary is this week too. I don't expect him to challenge and they've been really good this year. I think they're fourth in opposing QBR. So I, I, I would, you know, I think again, I think it's going to be a run game uh, situation. I think the Bengals, if they're going to sell out to stop the run, I don't think that's a bad idea. Now, we talk about Phillip Rivers, um, and you put on an article, I believe it was this week, that had had an alarming stat, uh, <laughs> well, a few alarming stats, uh, regarding the breakdown of if Phillip Rivers gets rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or less, or if he's over 2.5 seconds. And, uh, I mean, his QBR drops by 20 points. His completion percentage goes down from 73 to 60% as over the last, uh, I believe, since the beginning of 2019. So not not just in his time with the Colts. Uh, and he's also thrown 16 interceptions uh, since 2019 when he holds the ball for longer than 2.5 seconds. I, I mean, this has <laughs> got to make long yardage and obvious passing situations a, a really big concern. It does. I mean, there's no doubt that the Colts have been, the Colts, Frank Reich historically has been very good on third down. Uh, he and Nick Sirianni have had great success on third down. They are miserable on third down this year. They're miserable in the red zone. Another place where um, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni are usually pretty good together. That falls on Phillip Rivers a lot of this to me. I mean, he just hasn't, I, I, I you know, the story I wrote was essentially that when you have a quarterback who is as immobile as Philip Rivers, that, that puts your team in a box a lot of the time because there's not going to be a time where he's going to be able to escape the pocket, create time, extend a play, and let his receivers do something to get open, and then he can make something happen, create something and nothing. What it does is put a ton of pressure on the play callers and the teammates to get everything right. The play caller has to get the exact right play call against the defensive coordinator. If he, if he loses that chess match, the play is over because, again, Philip Rivers isn't going to extend the play and do something magical. If, if the receiver runs the wrong route or isn't quite in the right spot, well, that's the end of the play because he threw it one place and he's not holding on to the ball and running around somewhere else. I mean, the offensive line, if they don't block it right, he's not going to scramble and cover that up. I mean, how long has Deshaun Watson been successful in this league without a very good offensive line? I mean, he had that – that was a big problem before they acquired Laramie Tunsil. It's still a problem now, honestly. But he can cover it up a little bit by, by being able to buy time, scramble in the pocket. This is not what Phillip Rivers does. And now – at this point in his career, he's so he's you know he's so immobile. He can't you know he's got some escapability in the pocket. He knows how to manipulate it a little bit, but he's so immobile. He starts to kind of force things. I mean, you saw the pick six last week against the Browns. Uh, he threw another one down the middle of the field to Mo Ali Cox, who if the one uh, safety didn't intercept it, another corner would have. I mean, there were two guys who jumped that route. It, it it seems like he's panicking a little bit more, which is weird for a 17 year year veteran. But yeah, the longer he holds onto the ball, as you pointed out with those stats, the worse he gets, especially over this last you know since the beginning of last year, and that is super concerning. So they have dialed up big plays, they have got big plays, but those are those are anticipation throws he's making a lot of the time. That's not him seeing something or being able to adjust on the fly in the middle of a play. So it, it, it's been rough sledding so far with Phil Rivers in the passing game. 
Yeah, and kind of cycling or circling back around to where we started this conversation, when you're running all the time on second and long, 40% yeah. of the time on second and, and eight plus, and you're only getting two yards, I mean, you're, you're going to put yourself in a lot of those long yard situations on third down. Um, so, I mean, you could, you could see why they're not doing as well on third down, which I'm, I'm sure, you know, with Reich that being his thing coming over from Philly, I'm sure that's got to really hurt. It does. I, again, he, it's, it's one of those things that, like, they, you know, Frank Reich, he's a, he very much dives into the analytics and numbers. But, you know, he always says at the end of the day, all you know, it's only about wins. But he's like, there are numbers that you are particularly proud of as a coach. And for him, it's third down conversions and, and, and red zone success. And they haven't been good at either. And it, it does hurt him. It does. It, it hurts him as a as a play caller. Those are places where he's taken pride in being really good and really successful. And I, I, it's not happening this year with the passing game. And again, Rivers is just not the kind of guy who can bail the coach out or bail a play out uh, by, by making something happen with his feet, either scrambling for something or just creating a little extra time to, to get one of his receivers open. And so that's, like I said, it, especially in the red zone, that's, that's critical. I mean, I think we've seen in the NFL this year, you're watching guys like, like Josh Allen, uh, thrive or Brian Tannehill even the other night thrive because they can create time with their legs or create plays with their legs and that's just an element of the game that that so many teams are valuing now and the Colts don't have. And you just made me think of this uh, as you were talking, so uh, I could be completely off on this, but I feel like I remember last year there was a piece on ESPN uh, about how how into analytics Reich was and that he actually had a guy in the booth. Who has a live line to him, a live line to him? Excuse me, on game days, who's an analytics guy? It was. Am I right on that, or is that am I thinking of another team? Nope, you're right. Actually, he's got two. He's got the Colts have have two analytics guys that that will help them. He'll make decisions in, in real time in terms of that. A lot of that's you know fourth down and situational stuff that that he'll mm. do. But Frank Reich, you, as, again, you'll see if he gets into these situations on Sunday. He loves to go for it on fourth down. He is bought in fully to the. Um, using that extra down to get the first down and how, how worthwhile it is. He's gone for it on his own side of the field a couple times. Uh, I've seen him in the last year and a half, uh, but he will go for I mean, if he's on the other side of the field, if he's on the Bengals side of the field this Sunday, you can almost guarantee it unless uh, unless the Colts are up big and he's really trusting the defense that, it, you know, that he doesn't think the Bengals will score any points. Uh, but if he's in a game and he, and he thinks he's got to score points, he'll go. I mean, he, and again, that's, he does have those analysts in his ear though, for those times where he needs, he needs some numbers to help him make a decision. You know, on the uh, mobility and holding the ball too long front, if they were in, you know, if they're down 14 points, and I'm not saying the Bengals are going to be up 14 points. I'm just hypothetically throwing out a situation um, at at some point during the season. I mean, do you think they'll throw Brissett in there just (laughs) because he can do some stuff with his feet and keep things alive? Obviously, they're going to be teeing off on him if, 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 uh, you know, they're they're buried in the scoreboard. I, I... I think they're, it's a little early to pull the plug on 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 Philip Rivers, probably still. And by that, I mean really just situationally, just like, hey, Phil, you can't win this game for us right now. You know, you know, <laughs> not that not that it's, um, you know, not not that it's like, hey, you're done, but like, you're not gonna win this game, so <laughs> you know, like let's let's put in the guy that can that can run around and, and maybe make it a big play. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, see, I mean, the percent is not like a run around guy so much. He can, he can, like I said, he's good at evading tacklers, but he's not very fast. 
Um, he's, I mean, he's faster than Philip Rivers, there's no doubt about that. But he's not a guy that's going to run around and create a ton of plays. Where they do really like him, though, is in the red zone and in and and, and uh, last like last year he was very highly successful on in the red zone in third and short. So much so that even after they signed Philip Rivers, Frank Reich said that he, he and Nick Sirianni. Um, this, like took time during the offseason to create a package of plays for Jacoby Brissett that they were going to try to unleash him more in the red zone in some short yarded situations. Now, they've only run that. They, Jacoby's only been on the field once in that situation in Jacksonville. It went really poorly. Miles Jack blew up the play for about a three-yard loss, and it hasn't been shrouded out there since. We did ask Frank Reich about this again this week, and um, he didn't really give any hints. But, I again, for, for being, I think their team is 29th in the red zone right now. Um, like I said, Jacoby Brissett was highly successful in the red zone last year for all his warts as a quarterback last season. He was very good in the red zone. I think the Colts might as well stop banging their heads against the wall and throw Jacoby back in there and see what he can do. Not every play, not every time they get inside the 20-yard line or anything like that, but give him a couple of cracks at it and see what he can do. Yeah, you know, and Creighton's definitely not all about athleticism, but you know, you got to be able to do a little something to not just be a statue back there. Sure. And, I mean, he's also a big, he's a big dude too. That oh, uh, yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty hard to bring down. Um, all right, now, uh, now I get to the depressing question, but I, I've got to ask it. And and don't worry, it's depressing for Bengals fans, not uh, <laughs> Colts fans. So Philip Rivers is in Indianapolis now. Obviously, it's it's due to the untimely retirement of uh, Andrew Luck that we're talking about Rivers and Brissett instead of Luck. Um, Luck, former top overall pick, not unlike Joe Burrow. Uh, Obviously, it's a, you know, you talked about some of the struggles the offensive line has, has had this year, uh, but that offensive line has been pretty good recently. Um, wasn't quite the situation when Luck got there. Uh, Burrow and Luck are both guys who talk about liking taking hits and like kind of get excited <laughs> about taking hits. Yeah. Um, and, and Burrow has been compared to Luck uh, as as the the most pro ready quarterback. Uh, since Andrew Luck, I mean, how worried should Bengals fans be that 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 uh, they're not going to get uh, you know the full Burrow and that and that something like uh, what happened to Luck's career could could happen to Joe Burrow as well? So there, yeah, I mean, I definitely see where that question's coming from. Having been sacked, what is it, twenty two times so far? Uh, I think this year, and, and Andrew Luck was sacked more than 40 times his rookie season, and he did take a lot of hits, and he did like it. But I think the thing that people maybe outside of Indianapolis had to understand about Andrew Luck was he was he loved football, but he was never a guy that needed that needed football. He had outside interests. He had other things that he liked, took pleasure in. And when football became a thing that was just so painful for him, so and and made him what he talked about, he just was a, he just became a, a not a likable person to the people around him. He just decided he didn't need it anymore. Didn't want it anymore, um, and and didn't want to put himself through that agony anymore. And I, you know, again, more power to a guy who can who can make that decision and say that's that's it for me. I'm just not a happy person right now. But unless Joe Burrow is that guy, I don't think you have necessarily something to worry about. Now, again, you you obviously want to get an offensive line to protect him. You want to protect him better than 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 the Colts did for Andrew Luck for the first few years of his career. Um, but again, I don't think that's something that 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 particular comparison about Burrow walking away early. Um, because of that, and that I always, you know, I think that's more of a personality reflection of Andrew Luck rather than um, he got beat up too much. Again, it's 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 definitely part of it. I mean, he did retire because of the injuries, um, but I, I guess that it also was that personality part where he was just like, I don't need this anymore, and I'm not sure Joe Burrow is that guy. 
I mean, all indications appear to be that he is not that guy. So, <laughs> so yeah. that's that's good news. That's that's good to hear anyway. Uh, well, today my guest was Jim Aiello. Uh, Jim, where can people follow you and your work? At, on Twitter, at Jim Aiello. And then, yeah, for if you guys want to read a cult story occasionally at the uh, IndyStar.com. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, could be could be uh, good to catch up. Like I said, uh, the, he put out some great pieces this week. If you want to study the enemy a little bit more, head into the game and um it's uh you know definitely a, a good place to find some some good info so uh thanks for joining me today jim and uh for everybody else out there make sure you are checking out our virtual tailgate pregame show at noon eastern uh coming up this sunday and pretty much every sunday whenever they're whenever they're playing at one uh we'll be on at that time otherwise we're, we're always on an hour before kickoff uh so make sure you're joining us from that and uh, go Bengals, who day? Yeah, we coming forward, sours. You hear the crowd coming forward, sours. More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.